when I saw Jim play the harmonica, I realized, never realized before, I guess you breathe in and out while you're playing. It's kind of like Yahweh's name we have in the latest magazine, how we breathe Yahweh's name every day. When he blew breath of life into Adam, he blew the spirit of his breath into Adam as well. And uh, it's very uh, fascinating all our lives. We're breathing Yahweh's name, and most people don't even have a clue. Let's humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Almighty Father, you have said wherever two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. And we pray that you'll be with us this day as we learn about your word, learn about how to live your word, and learn how that your plan has involved your people all through the covenant. We pray that you'll watch over all of us, that you'll be with us, strengthen us in, in your word, strengthen those who are learning about you. Give them the understanding so that they can go and be one of yours and be a witness to the world. We're thanking you for your guidance, thanking you for health and your safety, and we pray that you'll continue to, to be watchful of your people as we go out into this world that's changing all the time. And as prayer and petition now, we ask in Yahshua's name, Hallelujah. You may be seated. It's been said that if you tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. Truth is becoming a rare commodity in these days in this world. And it's no secret that we have a problem with integrity in our world. And it's getting more and more difficult to trust people, to keep their word. Promises are made and broken. Salespeople lie to make a sale. Warranties go unhonored. Contracts are disregarded. Politicians are truth-challenged. And it used to be that your word was your bond, a simple handshake, sealed the deal. Not that way anymore. It used to be that parents raised children to be honest and always tell the truth. Same comment. This used to be a Bible-believing moral culture we live in, and many took their biblical faith seriously, expressed in how they lived. They lived their faith, for the most part. Remove the Bible, and you're left with degeneracy that we see everywhere. Little integrity. People don't seem to care. Surprisingly, they also have little fear of judgment because they don't know. Integrity boils down to a righteous character. Not many decades ago, most people could be trusted to do the right thing in everything. A brother was out $25,000 because he made a, an agreement with a buyer. And the next day, a guy comes along and says, I'll give you $25,000 more. He said, can't do it. Much as he wanted to, he couldn't do it. He says, I already made a commitment, my word to the previous buyer that I would sell him my house. He kept his word as the scripture commands. You know, a believer's word is his bond. That's all you need. Matthew 5.37, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whosoever is more, whatsoever is more than these comes of evil. evil. What you say, you mean, and you stick with it. And as always... Those who know better but go against Scripture, Yahweh sees to it that they'll lose. 
This includes the tithe, which belongs to him, not us. For those who willingly withhold it, he'll make sure they don't keep it anyway. I've seen it over and over and over for decades. Maybe an accident, maybe medical bills, maybe the car breaks down, maybe the home AC finally quits. Or your freezer breathes its last and you lose everything in it. You think you're going to keep it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not yours to keep. So Yahweh shows that. Malachi 3.8, will a man rob Yahweh? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, we're in it, we rob you. He says, in tithes and offerings. So you're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Well, I don't want to be facing the music when I have to make a tally, a give a tally to the judge of all the ways I have robbed him. I sure don't want to be in that situation. I wish uh, the same for everyone else. It's amazing how people are ignorant of this simple biblical command. Only two in five practicing churchgoers give at least 10% of their annual income as a tithe, according to a Barna survey, recent survey, I think it was last year. When it comes to generosity within the local church, just 21% of all members set their church giving at 10% or more. Well, one quarter, 25%, doesn't give at all. That's a lot. Surprisingly, less than half can even tell you what a tithe is. They don't even know what it is. It means less than half don't even know. Don't even know this biblical precept, let alone do it. In contrast, 99% of the ministers know what it is, but obviously there's a disconnect here. They're not... They're not teaching it. We try to teach the whole word here. And this is one of the teachings. But a blessing occurs with obedience. An elder in the faith once said, his son came to him and said, Dad, I make three times the income you do, but I always have financial problems. Why? And his dad says, the difference is I tithe. In our world, when standards are forgotten and not reinforced, breakdowns will occur. Achan, a man of low integrity, took for himself a pagan uh, pagan worship relics of silver and gold out of Canaan. When Yahweh says, don't do it, don't take it. Joshua then realized, along with other issues, that there was a need to reconnect with the word, reconnect with the law. And so he built an altar, and Moses-like, he wrote the law of Moses on stone. And this altar was the fourth one he had to do as they went through Canaan, because people forget. Short memories, it's amazing. All All the various things that went through to get out of Egypt, all the different miracles, ten plagues, and as soon as they get out, they start complaining, as if Yahweh couldn't sustain them. He could get them out of the most powerful nation on earth, biggest army on earth he could save them from, but they didn't have faith that he could sustain them once they got out. Paul told Timothy in his ministerial training to preach the word everywhere, in season, out of season, no matter what. Preach the word. That's the problem. The word isn't being preached today. Everywhere they were to preach 
teach the word as ministers of Yahweh. And of coarseness has also taken over our world. The general population is increasingly crass, brass, without caring for others. This wouldn't be this way 50 years ago. I lived 50 years ago. It wasn't this way. There was a decency that was respected and practiced in our world, even among the unbelievers of the Bible. There was a decency there, a concern for your fellow man and woman, which helped make the society strong and prosperous and healthy and happy because everybody pulled together. Not anymore. People are all pulling apart. The Apostle Paul told us all about our world, and he nailed it in his prophecy of 2 Timothy 3, 2-4. There he cites a whole plethora of social ills that we hear about every day in our news. He says, This also know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. He says they'll be covetous, they'll be boasters, they'll be proud, they'll be blasphemers, they'll be disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of Elohim. So let's break it down. Let's go through this, uh, these uh, definitions. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. How? Well, you can see it driving down the road, believe it or not. Covetous. In the 1950s, most people, average, middle-aged, middle-income people, lived in houses about 1,200 square feet. And they raised two, three, four, maybe five children in that little cracker box of a house. You can still see these houses as you drive through the older parts of cities and towns. But today's culture wants the biggest and best and is obsessed with keeping up with the latest social trends. And whatever the world offers is never enough. Materialism has become a religion. In contrast, Paul told Timothy, having food and raiment, let us therefore be content. Something to eat, something to wear, we're happy. That's almost like a command, isn't it? Well, we all get involved in this world, and uh, we get caught up with it. Yasha said he had nowhere to lay his head. Who is the richest man in the world? Think about it. Who is the richest? Solomon? Nope. Yasha the Messiah. Yasha the Messiah was the richest. But for our sakes, he became poor. Look it up. 2 Corinthians 8 9. Said he was rich. He could make stones turn to gold. I mean, he could do anything if he wanted to. Lovers of themselves and covetous are the twin sins from which flow all others that are Paul categorized here. Boasters. This goes hand in glove with covetousness. The Greek word is alazonis, and it means a braggart. Someone who's going around bragging. He's just totally in love with himself. Originally, it defined a quack doctor who went around with elixirs and spells Bragging that he could cure anybody. That's where the word comes from. Proud. Lots of varieties of pride today. There's a pride in those who want to control others. As well as those who like to attack those who don't agree with them. 
We see it almost every day in the office. People tell us that we're all wrong, and there's a pride in what they do. They're not there honestly seeking to know. They're in attack mode. They don't like what they hear. Well, I'm sorry. This is what the scripture said. I didn't write the book. If that's the way it is, that's the way it is. There's lots of varieties of pride. A pride in saying you're wrong and I'm right. Blasphemers. The world is increasingly going after those of biblical faith. Once Yahweh's name is more widespread, you're going to see it being attacked too. You don't see it yet, but you will. In fact, in Revelation, it says you will. Revelation 13, 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against Elohim to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Well, if the adversary is going to do that through the man of sin, what do you think is going to do in the world in that regard? Disobedient to parents. You know, physically striking a parent or even, or even uh, going against a parent uh, uh, in, in, in the regard of uh, maybe cursing them, that was a capital crime in the scriptures. And they got capital punishment for it. There's an instance in the Bible where uh, a young man did that. They took him out and stoned him. Death was what you earned if you mistreated your parents that way. Exodus 21.15. The same punishment goes for cursing them in verse 17. Well, on the flip side, Exodus 20.12 tells us if you want to have a long life, honor your father and mother. Honor them. Respect them, love them, that your days may be long upon the land which Yahweh your Elohim has given you. And there's no statute of limitations here. You're supposed to love your parents all the way there there, there, till they're gone, and even beyond that. Have a good word for them. Speak well of them. You want to live long? Do that. And he promises you will, even when they're gone. Or you can look forward to a curtailed life if you want to do the opposite. It's your choice. Unthankful. I don't, we don't think, thank Yahweh enough for the priceless gift he's given us for, of life. Think about it. What is your life worth? You came into this world a free moral person that can do whatever he wants, and Yahweh says, choose me. But it's your choice. You have freedom. You can do that. Do we thank Yahweh for giving us life and for staining, uh, sustaining us for whatever length of time he allows us? Unholy, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for Elohim has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. It means separate, separateness, sanctified, separate. Live separately from the world. Go the right way. I remember... One of my jobs, summer jobs, when I was going to school, uh, I worked uh, with uh, some guys, and uh, they're all sitting around talking about against their wives. Oh, my wife does this, my wife does that. And another young guy says, you know what? I love my wife. And I remember that. I remember that, what, 40 years ago. It still sticks with me. I love my wife, he said. Unthankful and unholy, they kind of travel together. And then it says, without natural affection. The Greek, astorgoi, meaning the kind of love you have for your family. A deep down caring concern for others. Spontaneous concern. 
immediate. Today, when someone lies wounded on the ground, many turn their backs on them, won't, won't even lift a finger to help them. And Yasha talked about that, of course, in the par- parable of the Good Samaritan. They turn their backs. The love for fellow man has waxed cold. Another fulfilled prophecy. Truce breakers, agreement breakers, a handshake isn't good enough. Now you have to have papers signed in triplicate under the watchful eye of an attorney and then filed at the courthouse. Where in days past, take, shake your hand, good as gold. False accusers, diaboloi. It's the Greek word that gives the... Uh, Word devil. Diablo in Spanish. Hasatan was the original false accuser of the brethren. Incontinent, no self-control, where anger escalates and it just gets worse and worse till something bad happens. Fierce. And numeroi means brutal or savage, like a wild beast. The news shows pedestrians being attacked in the streets. Someone just walks up behind them and clocks them in the head, knocks them unconscious. For what? For walking on the street. This is how animalistic our culture is getting. Fierce, it says. Smackdown, that's the newest game in town, I guess. Despisers of those that are good. Well, we see that. We can witness that. Traitors. Prototoi means treacherous, meaning those in... Paul's day, who turned believers into the Roman authorities because they didn't like the believers. Treacherous, traitors. Heady, properties, rash, reckless, hasty. They don't think before they act. They just react. They live from one reaction to another. High-minded, conceited, puffed up. People proud of themselves, proud of who they are. And they... uh, no, don't get in their way. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of Elohim. Sabbath worship? What's that? We got a baseball game to go to. Uh, we got to go shopping or see the movies. Sabbath? What's that? You fill in the blank. These are 18 characteristics of a degenerating world. All the barriers breaking. If we keep going this way, we're going to end up like a Mad Max culture. <laughs> And uh, total chaos, and I think complete breakdown. Until Yasha says, okay, enough's enough. This list of end-time inequity mirrors in many ways Romans 1, 30, 31, where the result is, verse 32, who knowing the judgment of Elohim, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. They have a conscience. They know some of these things are wrong. They that do these things, the same, not only do them, but have pleasures in them that do them. They parade their sins in Sodom, they hide it not. Compared to today with what used to be only a few decades ago, should really shout loud and and clear that the Bible is spot on. Accurate in what it says, it offers only a solution in a spiritual tailspin. Nothing else but the word offers right, honest, true, satisfying, good living that's blessed and happy. Nothing else has proven socially redeeming. No one else but Yahshua can bring back the days of Adam and Eve back in Eden. 
and solid core values. We see all around us the results when a culture loses its honor and its integrity, when laws are ignored, when scripture no longer matters. This is what you get. You get chaos. During his time as a rancher, Theodore Roosevelt, one of his and one of his cowpunchers was out lassoing Maverick Steer. Then they lit a fire and prepared the branding irons. Well, the part of the range they were on and the steer was on was claimed by Gregor Lang, one of Roosevelt's neighbors. According to the Cattleman's Code, the steer now belonged to, to Lang, and Roosevelt suddenly realized it. As his cowboy began to apply the brand, Roosevelt said, Wait, wait, it should be Lang's brand. Well, that's all right, boss, said the cowpuncher. But you're putting on my brand, Roosevelt said. That's right, said the cowhand. Drop that iron, Roosevelt said. Go back to the ranch, get your stuff, and get out. A man who will steal for me will also steal from me. Like a highway, integrity goes both directions. A man named Stuart Briscoe tells of being hired by a bank. He was a young, new worker and just learning the, the ropes of the business. One day his boss told him, if Mr. Anderson calls for me, tell him I'm out. Oh, are you going somewhere, he asked. No, I just don't want to speak to him. So tell him I'm out. Let me make sure I understand. Do you want me to lie for you? His boss blew up, angry at being questioned by this young employee. Briscoe prayed for an answer and was given a flash of insight. Sir, you should be pleased because if I won't lie for you, I won't lie to you. As biblical ethics increasingly evaporate all around us, we see hypocrisy and outright dishonesty. We, we live in a world of deceit and falsehood in advertising, in politics, in business, in personal relationships. And we've all been victimized by it. We all know it. We all see it. It happens regularly. You buy a product known by the manufacturer to be defective. Sells it to you anyway. Bribes are made to hide the truth. Self-seeking leaders in the highest offices demoralize the nation by their duplicity and blow it off as the fault of someone else. Parents lie to their children, so the children believe in Easter, and Santa Claus, uh, Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. It's been a cancer since the dawn of time. Hasatan had no scruples in deceiving Eve with his agenda, which overrode everything, including the truth. Even traditional practices hide an old duplicity. Did you know when you write letters and you sign them sincerely or sincerely yours, this has a custom in ancient Rome. Roman sculptures, sculptors, often concealed cracks in the marble by filling them with wax so you couldn't tell it had a crack in it, melted beeswax. But when the beeswax got hard, dried, and crumbled, the cover-up was revealed. Reputable sculptors guaranteed their work as sinacere, sincerely, which means without wax. So when you sign your letters, just say without wax, yours truly. In many other ways, we are subject to deceit by those lacking integrity. And as we 
aren't told about hidden charges on a purchase or on an account. Warranty promises are made but not honored on a technicality. A friend turns out to be not a friend at all. It's endless. It goes on and on and on. We learned once that we were charged by another company that we would be charged thousands of dollars on a recurring contract that we never never gave our consent to, never signed it. We also learned that this Christian outfit that was doing it to us was in violation of Missouri state law. We informed them of it, and they dropped it. But they tried to get away with cheating us. Integrity reflects honesty. The honest person is going to be above board in everything. No exceptions. John 1, verse 47, Yahshua says uh, to Nathaniel something remarkable. He says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. The Greek word for guile is dolos, and it means crafty, deceit, falsehood. It's related to the word for decoy, or decoy, a device used to fool. There was no fooling with this guy. He was straightforward, straight arrow, straight shot. You can always trust a straight shooter like Nathaniel. If he said he'd be there by 10 o'clock, you can set your sundial by it. You could count on getting the straight story from him. His honesty was exemplary. That Yasha made a special example of this virtue is very fascinating in the life of this man. Some say Nathaniel was really Bartholomew because he was always pelling around with Philip. But we don't know for sure. Anyway, this man had integrity, and Yahshua noticed it and, and uh, shared it. Yahshua taught it again in Mark 10, 19. Now look closely at his words to the rich young man. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Implicit in the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth commandments is the principle, don't defraud. This is not specifically one of the Ten Commandments, but it's at root of most of them. Defrauding, meaning an intentional falsehood in order to get what you want, to take an advantage of another person. And it's related to bearing false witness. Yasha classified it under murder and stealing, and it's that very act of defrauding that Judas used when he betrayed Yahshua. One of the most serious of deceits is to allege a devotion to Yahweh that isn't there. Playing the game. Pretending like you're a religious person. Then, you know, selfish selfish acts and evil habits secretly lurk in the heart of a Bible-professing person. He or she has some serious problems. That shouldn't happen among believers. Having integrity means being totally honest and truthful in everything. Someone catches you in something, you don't lie your way out of it. The most important quality you can have, which will enhance every part of your life, is being a person of integrity. And people know it. They see it. It's been confirmed in how you live. And you have a reputation of being a person they can trust and honor. It should be all of our goals. By making a commitment to become a totally honest, upright person... You will ensure success and happiness in your life. 
Let's look at some examples of integrity or lack thereof. Exodus 8.29, And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee. I will treat Yahweh with the swarms of flies that may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore and not letting the people go to sacrifice to Yahweh. Oh, you can go. Oh, wait a minute. No, you can't. Uh, okay, you, you took care of this, uh, this plague. Now you, now you can go. No, 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 no. You, you can't. You've got to stay here. Back and forth, back and forth. This guy, wow, he had a problem. He, he was really integrity challenged, I'll tell you. Integrity is the quality that locks in your values and causes you to live consistent with them. You live your faith. You do it because this is your faith. This is your faith. I remember, I probably told this before, in the office where I worked, uh, some of the people were talking about, well, what are you going to do for Halloween? What are you going to do? And the guy comes by and he says, "Uh, I'm not doing anything. I'm shutting off the lights and going to my basement. Why? It's Halloween. It's a church holiday. He says, "Uh, (laughs) I can't do it. It's not my faith to do it. So he, he lived his, his word. So integrity includes keeping your word. Pharaoh couldn't do it. Integrity is the quality that locks in your values and causes you to be consistent with them. He also has an unblemished character, the one with integrity, in every area of his life. You can see it. You can watch him. The guy lives his word. Integrity is the hallmark of righteous character. As you act with complete honesty, you'll find that every part of your life is going to improve. You'll be seen as someone people can trust, people know you, someone who walks the talk. A key to right character that Yahweh enters is the keeping of a promise. We first learn about this from our parents. When promises were kept, we learned that this is what we need to do, keep our promises. We learn the importance of obligations and commitments and about being sincere in our word, follow what we say, reliable trust and responsibility. And when promises were broken, we learned about that too. And we learned about frustration and disappointment and resentment and all that it causes. Somewhere in our journey to adulthood, the simplicity of making a promise and keeping it became more confounded as life became more complicated. To keep a promise became harder to do because more situations impacted it and it conflicted with it and you had to make a stand. You had to have a backbone, make a stand. Promising to pay back what you owed was more difficult when other important needs kind of got in the way. Wait a minute, I I can't do it. And obligations also had to be met. Today, promises are often sacrificed on the altar of busy lives. Sometimes it's not really our fault, but we get caught up in it and uh, we, we fail. The culture has learned to make and break promises all the time, all the time. And worst of all, to believe it's no big deal. It's what we do. This is, <laughs> this is what we do. You know, I go out and I go shopping. My wife and I go shopping and uh, look at the prices on things and everything. is. We all know through the roof. So when you order something, you know They've had it on their shelves for, what, a year, year and a half? But they charge high prices anyway because everybody's doing it. We can get away with it. No one's going to complain. They're used to paying more now. 
That's not integrity. That's deceit. When you renege on a promise, you get a reputation and lose the trust of others. No reneging on obligations is good, and it's not integrity. That's very important in an organization. There was once a young elder in a ministry that we were familiar with who was consistently late for services, consistently. It's going to be 10 minutes late no matter what. And there again, you can set your clock by it. And he walks with his family, disrupting the services. Every Sabbath it happened. He had a responsibility to be on time for a number of reasons. By his unnecessary truancy, he showed little concern for the brotherhood. And a disregard for his position, especially. Thankfully, we don't have that problem at YRM. Some may be last-minute men, but not too often are they late-minute men. They just happen to get through the door just in time. Getting to 130 Sabbath services should never be an issue. I mean, brethren, the day is already half spent. How can you be late, you know? In the early days of his ministry, my dad would hold Sabbath services at 10 o'clock in St. Louis, which was fine for the locals. But we lived in Kansas City. So we drove, we got up super early, got ready, drove to to St. Louis, 250 miles across the state, to be there by 10 a.m. And we made it every time. So I can't complain when I drive one-tenth of a mile to come here on Sabbath. I'm used to the long haul. And then we turn around and drive all the way back 250 miles the same day. Well, it was an honor to serve Yahweh and to serve those brethren there who, who were uh, always there waiting for us to uh, share the Sabbath and the message with them. 2 Corinthians 8.21, Paul admonishes us to live honest lives. Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of Yahweh, but also in the sight of men. See, Yahweh's, you're always in sight of Yahweh. You know, Yahweh's always watching. He's watching everything. He knows everything. Can't fool him. Can't hide from him. Can't hide things we do that are wrong. He knows it. Are we going to be held accountable for it? Well, unless you repent and change your life, yeah, you might be. Be honest in your relationships with your time and with your finances. Two researchers surveyed thousands of people around the the world and performed more than 400 written case studies. They identified those characteristics most desired in a leader. In virtually every survey, honesty and integrity topped the list. That stands to reason. If people are going to get behind someone, whether in battle, business, or a ministry, they want assurance that the leadership can be trusted, right? And will keep their word and their commitments. We can find many examples in Scripture of those who demonstrated integrity. They're they're the hallmark. You know, Hebrews 11. These are the people that uh, lived a life, exemplary life for Yahweh. In a variety of situations, Samuel was such a man. Let's turn to his farewell speech in 1 Samuel 12, 1. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to you in all that you have said to me and have set a king over you. He was the, the prophet. See, it is the king who leads you now. 
I am old and gray, but my sons are with you. I have led you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before Yahweh and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Let me know now. So I can make it right. Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. I want to set things right right now. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from the hand of anyone. He said to them, Yahweh is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Led exemplary life. Totally honest in everything he did. Having led Israel for decades, at the end of his days, Samuel promised to repay anything he had unjustly taken from anyone. Boy, what a promise. Even more impressive was that not one person rose up to claim against him. Not one. That's a man with integrity. His business dealings, his treatment of subordinates, it was all done with integrity. It also showed that he was concerned that all his affairs be straightened out before he has left this life, before he had to face the judge of the universe. You know, I think about that a lot. Um, what if, for some reason, you get a heart attack? You're done. Are you ready to face the judge? Have you done everything right that you could? Have you repented of things that you did were wrong and you can't make right? Too often, commitments are taken lightly and without thinking of the consequences. Well, things have changed. I can't do this like I promised. So you're telling me your word is meaningless then. I know I said I would help, but something came up. In other words, I'm putting something else over my promise. Or even worse is to make a lifelong vow to Yahweh to be faithful until the end through baptism and then renege on that because you lack the resolve and the tenacity. It's as serious as it gets, brethren. This walk requires us to be resolute in our faith, never backing off. Stand firm. Every year, we have at least half a dozen feast reservations that end up going AWOL. Where are these people? They had an intention to keep the feast. That's what Yahweh commands every year, at least half a dozen. When I hear of organizations who baptize with virtually no pre-counseling, to me that's inexcusable. People don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know the impact. They don't even know anything about the commitment they're making to Yahweh, the covenant they're coming into. It's negligence of the highest order in my book. Do we comprehend what a vow means to Yahweh? When we tell him we will do something, do we grasp how critical it is that we fulfill that? He says, if you, can't make a, if you can't fulfill your vow, don't make it. Will he entertain a promise breaker in his kingdom? Like old Theodore Roosevelt would not have that employee working for him. Would Yahweh 
someone who can't keep their promises or someone who's uh, less than honorable. See, we live for the kingdom. That should flavor everything that we do and we're out there doing it. Kingdom is our goal. Ecclesiastes 5, 4-6, when you vow a vow unto Elohim, defer not to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which you have vowed. Better is it that you should not vow than you should make the vow and not pay. Suffer not your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an an error. I, 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 I come up with an excuse. Wherefore should Yahweh be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? When Yahweh makes a covenant, there's no question that he keeps it. He keeps his covenants. He keeps his agreements. He keeps his word. There's no question about it. He can be trusted 20,000%. The same should be with our commitments. If you can't honor it, don't do it. Don't make it. Don't make it a commitment. Think about it before you do. Oftentimes we we react, knee-jerk reaction, and we, we don't think. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Think through all the ramifications before I do this, before I commit to this. That's a lot better than not doing it after you promised it. First Chronicles 16.15b, mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac and has confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Very important. Psalm 105.8. He has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. It always comes down to the issue of character, integrity, honesty, and resolve. Not just words. The words we speak reflect the person we are. Biblical integrity is not just saying the right thing. It's not even a matter of just doing the right thing. It's also a matter of having the right heart, and allowing the person you are on the inside to be visible on the outside in your dealings in this world. This is how Yahweh is. This is how he expects his people to be, have integrity. In Isaiah 6, when the prophet was giving a glimpse of the majesty of Yahweh, he was totally overcome. Isaiah says, I'm undone. I'm torn apart. Isaiah finds himself shattered, and and this forces him to realize his own utter depravity in Yahweh's presence. Saw Yahweh high and lifted up, and saw himself lower than a worm in Yahweh's presence. Throughout the Bible, man encounters Yahweh's presence and are very consistent in this way. For example, when Peter has come to Yahshua, uh, witnessing the power of, of, of a Savior delivering uh, the miracle, the monstrous catch of fish. You remember that? Yasha says, throw, it, throw the net over there, and he couldn't even hardly lift it into the boat. Peter is just awestruck. Instead of asking, how did he do that? He says, I'm a sinful man, not even deserving to be in your presence. Wish I could get off this boat and run away. You're so holy, and I'm so dirty. He's aware of Yasha's power and holiness and his own sinfulness in comparison. In John 8, 
13, four to six, a large band of armed soldiers comes to arrest Yahshua, as we know, during the Passover season, and they have their own traumatic encounter with holiness. They fall to the ground, and the word pipto that is used implies that they were frozen to the ground, unable to move at the sound of Yahweh's name. It appears that if the pronouncement of Yahweh's name, Hayah, the veil of Yahshua's flesh, may be lifted for a nanosecond, and that's all it took to knock them squarely on the ground and unable to move. It shocked them to their bones. The soldiers didn't arrest Yahshua. He arrested them. Think about it. His power was a gracious warning that they were over their pathetic heads. I don't care how many swords or knives that they carried, daggers, it didn't matter. Now they are more afraid than the one they came looking for. Yahweh's holiness is truly awesome. And in a way, we are to reflect some of that, manifest some of that in our lives. Paul in Ephesians 4.1 tells us to walk worthy of our calling. You have a calling, go out and do it, but walk worthy. So when people look and see you, they say, oh, there is a, a, a righteous person, a man who stands for Yahweh. To have integrity, to have in your heart what we profess on our lips. We don't just represent Yahshua. We're betrothed to him. We're becoming a family to him. Integrity means living by a code of moral and spiritual ethics, which are Yahweh's laws. When some say the law was abolished, they're saying you can live without integrity. You can live any way you want to. You don't have to have integrity without righteousness, surviving the throes of sin and evil. When someone calls you a legalist, be sure to thank them for recognizing what we're trying to do. We're trying to obey Yahweh, to become part of his character. And that comes through obedience to his laws as he commands us to keep. This is what changes us. The Bible teaches a high and holy ethic. A person who claims to be a believer and lives by biblical standards is making an ethical statement to the world. He or she is committed to a certain high morality. For that person to have integrity then, he or she must live by the choice made. You don't go back on it. You go all the way with it. You have to put Yahweh first in all things. If a spouse doesn't agree, and it's always tough when the woman is the believer, you say, I have to do this. This is my chosen faith. This is what I'm living for. I have to do it. I'm sorry. Well, you can't go to the feast. We got, uh, we got uh, to clean the garage <laughs> or we have to go somewhere or something. No, I'm sorry. We can do that a week after that, but I'm not going to do it. When I made a commitment to honor Yahweh in all things, I'm going to do it. Zechariah 8.17 tells us Yahweh hates a false oath You can have a high ethic or you can have a low ethic. You can have people telling you what to do or you can have Yahweh telling you what to do and living the faith. But if you have hope for the future, you've got to choose the high ethic wisely and live to match it. It matters to Yahweh. It matters to Yahshua, our coming judge. 
See, this is serious business. This isn't just something we do for fun. It's just you know, a time we get together once a week, fellowship. Well, that's important, but that's not the purpose. The whole purpose is not that. It's to learn more about the one we're following. When we find our actions not matching our mouth, the probing question of Yahshua in Luke 6.46 should echo in our hearts. Why do you call me master, master, and do not what I say? Yahshua followed. He says, I do what the Father tells me to do. I'm telling you to do the same thing. No one respects a person who talks a good game but fails to deliver. Others may forget 90% of what you say, but they'll never forget what you do. They'll always remember that. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15 to walk the talk. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that your profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine continued in them. For in doing this, you shall both save yourself and them that hear you. See, we're all ministers in a way. We're all serving Yahweh through teaching his word to the world. And you have a chance to save them. Those that hear you, he says. Translation, be an example of what a believer is. We'll never attain perfection in this life, but there always should be progress toward it. Always moving toward it. Two things Paul exhorts Timothy to watch. Your life and your teachings. In other words, give careful attention to what you do as a minister for Yahweh. Give careful attention to your belief and to your behavior. Make sure they harmonize. Live a life that others can learn from and that they can remember and then pattern their lives after. As we follow, as Paul said, I follow Yahshua, follow me. As we follow Yahshua, follow what we say. Each of us is a billboard for Yahweh and the only Bible many will ever see. I listed seven traits of people that have true integrity, and then I'll close. They are trustworthy. They are truthful. They do good whenever they can. They are humble. They keep Yahweh's commandments. They are outward focused and never take advantage of others. And they hold themselves accountable. We have only one life to live, brethren, one shot at this life. If we've made a mess of it so far, we can repent, ask Yahweh for forgiveness, and then change. Yahweh promises to forgive if we're sincere, if we really want to change and walk in integrity. So I pray this message has helped. And uh, like Joshua, maybe it's another, another pillar out there that we can reconnect with and remember what we're all about as Yahweh's people. Hallelujah.